Hey friend, I just want to take a quick moment to let you know about something we offer here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Now listen, Nothing Is Wasted is not just this podcast that you've been enjoying, full of stories of hope and healing in the midst of difficult and painful valleys. We're also a ministry with unending resources that can help you move forward on your healing journey from whatever pain you've experienced in life. We've got the Pain to Purpose course, masterclasses, curated pathways around specific pain points, an online community, and so much more. But if you're just getting started on the path of healing and you're interested in learning more about how you can even begin to untangle your pain, I want to invite you to our free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call. I'll be there live and I'll just be sharing some practical steps that you can take right here, right now to move from the hurt and trauma you've walked through and into deeper healing. You and I will be able to engage with each other. You'll be able to ask questions and learn what it looks like to start taking back your story. Now, it's completely free, but it may just be the step that God uses to begin in you a journey of deeper hope and healing no matter what you faced. All you got to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And join me as a first step to taking back your story no matter what you've gone through. Now, listen, there is very real pain and loss that is threatening to keep you discouraged and despairing, but it doesn't have to be that way. Let me give you some practical hope that I've learned in my own pain and suffering after losing my wife, Amanda, in 2015. I found that the only way out of despair is going right through it, and life is too short to stay in your pain. We don't want to waste this. So I want to invite you to join me for our next free live Zoom call by signing up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And let the healing journey begin in your life. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts... Davy Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davy Blackburn, and joining me again as a guest co-host, Vanitha Reisner. Vanitha, great to see you. Ah, it's great to be here, Davy. I'm super excited about this conversation, Vanitha. I'm not sure if you had ever heard of Natalie before. I had not. Well, okay, I take that back, and I think I actually share this in the conversation with her. Someone, a friend of mine had just asked me, have you heard of this organization, this lady she raised to stay? He's a pastor. So he was like amening all of her stuff. Like, cause her big thing is like, we're, we have people just mass exodus of the church and this whole deconstruction movement. And it's like, Hey, we, why don't we dive in and have the difficult conversations in church? Like, let's, let's wrestle through this stuff, right? Like let's stay and let's make the church into what Jesus origin, originally intended the church to be right. Instead of just throwing shade at the church. So my pastor friend's like, have you heard of her? This is amazing. And quite literally, <laughs> I was having a conversation with her like that week. It was incredible. So I had not heard of her before that. And so every time that happens, and I don't know if this is you, for you, Vanitha, every time that happens where it's like repeats, it's like the Lord's going yeah. right here, pay attention. It's like when there's an echo, you the, the Holy Spirit is all over that. It's amazing. So Natalie uh, wrote this book called Raised to Stay. Um, and she's a, like I said, on the last episode, she's a great Instagram follower. So you need to follow her on Instagram. I think it is just Raised to Stay on Instagram. And um, she does a whole lot of, there's just really thought provoking nuggets that she puts out as people are kind of wrestling through their faith. I mean, there is a major movement right now of deconstruction 
a lot of the deconstruction that happens, I've found, Vanitha, is a, is a result of pain. Mm-hmm. And people don't know where, where to put that pain. And they're misappropriating the blame for that pain. Yes. So I'm, God and yeah. the church becomes the scapegoat in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because I'm not sure why God gets wrapped up in pain from the church. Like people somehow feel like if the church hurt me, then it must be that God is hurting me versus... Yeah wow, these are people. And I, I think there's a tendency for a lot of us to do that. But I think Natalie's ministry so beautifully says like, hey, the church might've hurt you and that individual church might've done all kinds of things that were wrong, but we're raised to stay. Like, let's not walk right. away from Jesus. That's right. So I, I just think it's such an important conversation and ministry that she has. Yeah, yeah. Such a great, like you said, very timely, very important conversation and uh, if you're looking for a next step, if you're trying to figure out, okay, what I love the podcast. These are such inspiring stories. We're not just a podcast. We're an entire ministry. We have lots of resources. We have community. We have coaches. But if you're looking for, okay, what's my next step? I want to invite you to join me on a free live Zoom call with me personally. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story No Matter What You Have Gone Through. And on it, we're live. It's not a webinar. I'd see your faces. You see mine. We have Q&A, we interact. It's just such a joy. I mean, the Lord shows up in powerful ways during this time. I'll do a little bit of teaching and then we'll have some time for Q&A. But you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And uh, you can sign up for that five steps to taking back your story. Let's go ahead and dive in. Why don't we, Vanitha? That sounds great. I am so looking forward to this. Here's my conversation with Natalie. Natalie, it's so great to have you on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation because, you know, as I was sharing with you off air, we've got so many folks who have, uh, they're in our community on our uh, online platform. They're walking through the Pain to Purpose course. They're listening to our podcast, whatever. But they've experienced uh, church hurt, some kind of, you know, spiritual abuse. And we up to this point have not had a whole lot of resources to be able to provide them with. And, um, and then we got connected with you and this is going to be such a great conversation because I know in your own, your own experience, your own story, you've, you've walked through some of this and it's been very painful, but God's been doing something really profound in your life and through your life out of your experience. And so thank you for being willing to talk about this. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm 43, so it's been 20 years of being a pastor's kid and then you know, 23 years of of doing the ministry as an adult. And I think I grew up wanting to believe that it was just all good, that, yeah. you know, it's just all going to be great. And we can gaslight ourselves into thinking that mm-hmm. really hard things that happened to us weren't that bad. And so over the last five years, I've, I've finally been able to reconcile that, yes, I was hurt and there was mm-hmm. some spiritual abuse and there were things that, almost made me want to walk away completely, not just from the church, but from Jesus at times. And that's really what has prompted this ministry and this book has just been, well, if I feel that way, who else feels that way? And just creating a community for this honest dialogue. Yeah. You know, I'm a pastor's kid too. uh, And then my dad's a missionary's kid. And, you know, so we generations been in ministry. I've got so many folks in, in our in our family, we've got really large families on both sets. My, my dad's side, my mom's side, 
uh, my late wife's side, my wife now, like every, it, feels, it feels like everybody's in ministry. And so I joke around sometimes I had a drug problem growing up. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open, <laughs> you know? And But you do begin to see kind of this underside. And sometimes you don't notice it as a child, but you, as you reflect back or as you experience things as an adult in ministry, you see this underside of ministry that can seem definitely a lot less um, glamorous than what you would maybe with bright eyes went into it thinking it was going to be like. Um, I'm just curious in your own story, if you want to kind of share how comfortable you, however comfortable you feel, some of the things that you began to experience that you would say, I recognize this as spiritual abuse. I recognize this as church hurt, or this is some major things that happened that were very impactful for me. Yeah, my, I mean, my senior year of high school, we walked in one Sunday. We lived in the parsonage. We'd been there for years. We walk in one Sunday and we're told it's your last Sunday. Pack it, pack it up. Oh, it's time goodness. to go. And, you know, we're homeless. I'm a senior in high school. I'm supposed to go to a Christian college. I had my whole life revolving around ministry and ended up not. I ended up going to a public university and majoring in science where I wrestled every day for five years with my with my faith and theology. Mm. And it was the best thing that could have happened to me. But that was clear abuse, right? Like we would say, right. yes, that was bad. That was not good. That was hurtful. I mean, oh my gosh, I, I watched my dad circle jobs in the newspaper for the first time in my life. They kicked mm. us out. It was it was that ultimate, like obvious betrayal. Um, and that that brought anger and that brought shame and, and distrust. And then I go into my 30s and my 40s. And what I learned is that the abuse is becoming more subtle in the churches, the uh, spiritual manipulation, toxicities, and narcissism. And when we talk about being disenchanted, a lot of it is because of social media. We mm-hmm. see people leading worship on massive platforms and the lights and the camera. And we think, oh my gosh, this is going to be a life of blessing and it's going to be a life of um, constant promotion. And then we get into offices and we're being spoken to a certain way or we're in meetings and we're realizing, oh, I'm being manipulated. I'm I'm being... controlled. I'm things in a marriage that we would say, get out, right? Mm. But we, for whatever reason, we're in the church and it feels like, well, this must be okay because this is a spiritual leader. And so I think this conversation has to go from the obvious abuse, which we know what those signs are, to the more hidden, subtle spiritual abuse that tears people down and doesn't just break our hearts, but crushes our souls and even compromises a calling. And that's where I think a lot of people in the stayer community have found themselves saying, I didn't know what I was walking out with spiritual abuse. Now I do. What are my next steps? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm not going to ask how old you are when you kind of grew up, but in, in my <clears throat> my upbringing, my experience in the church, there wasn't social media. There wasn't Facebook, right? I, was, I didn't come into Facebook. Wasn't It was the novel thing when I got into college after God had already called me to ministry. And so for me, ministry didn't seem like it was this going to be this like alluring platform that it was going to be. Now, I was highly impacted at large youth conventions. And, you know, uh, I was called to ministry at a youth convention in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. Chris Tomlin was leading worship. And, you know, but but to me, it was never this like, it was actually ministry was something I didn't want to go into because it was a definitely not a means of uh, economic abundance for my family. It was definitely not going to be a means of, I knew all that stuff. So I resisted against it. And so there was at least, I think a healthy idea of I'm counting the cost here to go into ministry. I think you are illuminating a little bit of like, now we're seeing folks even stepping into this whole ministry realm or, or church world outside of ministry, just as parishioners, 
with some preconceived ideas or notions that are completely anti-biblical. Can, can you talk a little bit about that and how that plays into, or maybe even played into your story of, um, you know, this like reality check of, wow, this is the reality of what the church is or what ministry is or what, you know? Yeah, because in college, I didn't want to be in ministry. I was a kinesiology major. I was a physical <laughs> education teacher. I taught for 10 years in a very public university or public school. And I was kind of sidelining as a worship leader. And what I liked about that is that I wasn't the pastor's kid. I wasn't on yes. staff. I could just show up and be part of a community without knowing all the politics and mm. all of the things that um, I had seen behind that big veil, you know, as a senior in high school, I liked having the separation. And I think that I now stepped into it in my 20s with a little bit of trepidation after seeing what my parents had walked out, what other people had walked out. And then going into my 30s, it was when the social media thing started to hit and you're seeing all of these you know, grand examples of what ministry is. And I'm over here like, no, this is not what ministry is. Right. Ministry is your phone ringing all the time right. and, and people stabbing you in the back and you being at people's bedsides during their death yes. and you're marrying and you're burying. And we almost need to have like this ministry job description that just goes up globally. Like, here's what you need to expect if you're going right. to say yes to this. And right. so for me, I'm, I'm like you, I spent half my life, no social media, no understanding of like the good side of ministry. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got the social media side, but I think what parishioners and what congregants are walking into now is now you're seeing so much of the bad stuff amplified that people are almost walking in with a little bit more of hesitation than we would have 25 years ago because of all of the news and media. Right. Um, so they're coming in. It, it may not have even happened to them, but it's yep. almost like they're expecting it to happen to them. <sighs> Wow. Wow. Okay. You touched on a really good point because, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't intended on bringing this up, but I think this is something that I think this is a, a, a line of demarcation that we really need to go down. You know, um, I, uh, and you know, let me, this is where the context of where it comes from. I I'm, I'm serving and leading a parachurch type organization, a ministry that helps come alongside the church. I'm not inside the church, but I'm also traveling and speaking at a lot of different churches, having conversations with pastors. There is a new conversation that's coming up out of some very real pain, right? Very real pain of spiritual abuse, of narcissistic leaders, of, but this conversation has been amplified by different things. Um, you know, uh, different podcasts that have been released, documentaries that have been released. You know, I'm not necessarily going to name specifics, but if you are aware of those things, you know what I'm talking about. And so now people are coming into, there's a little bit more of a, a guarded, jaded perspective. So I hear and see that pain as very real pain. I also see my pastor friends who are feeling uneasy or even fearful about this because it in some ways, um, they're afraid it's going to cause people to have complete distrust for any type of spiritual leadership, any type of like um, acknowledgement that the church is important in their life. You've experienced some very real spiritual abuse and pain in ministry and as a parishioner. How do you how do you navigate those waters? Like help us to get a, a clearer understanding, pull the veil back and go, this is how we should approach as we see these conversations take place. 
Right, because there are there are wolves in sheep's clothing. We know this, right? So we know that it's been proven that there are people that are in ministry who are being used by the enemy to hurt people. We know this. My account gets a little bit in trouble because my tagline is challenging the church, which I think we're doing well. We're saying, hey, let's not abuse people. And then championing the saints or challenging the saints to say, yes, there are sheep in wolves clothing, but there are also sheep crying wolf. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to be really careful. Wow. This is where that whole like wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove comes into play as leaders. Yeah. Because when somebody comes into our church and they say, I've been abused by the church, that's a massive statement that that's is being made. That's a huge made. accusation. Yeah. And we have to understand we're going to be held accountable when we get to heaven. We will be held accountable for calling leaders abusers who were yeah. not truly abusers. Wow. wow. Just as abusers are going to be held accountable for abusing the sheep. Mm. So we have to walk this fine line of understanding that we all can be a Saul. We mm. all can be a Judas. Mm. Our prayer is that we will be a Paul. <laughs> Right, yes, yes. And so there has to be a humility and that only comes through, through the power of the Holy Spirit to step into a church and say, these are humans leading a holy, holy space. And it is inevitable that humans are going to jack this thing up. Mm. And so when I hear a pastor preach, I am always hearing it through the lens of, this is a man who is doing his very best to give me the holy word of God. Mm. And there is a chance that this man, as well as many other people in this building, are going to be very human and they could be a Judas at my table. I, I, I know wow. that, is a, that is a chance. Wow. But I also believe that if I, as a Timothy, am sitting in this room, that just that there could be a Judas, there could be a Saul, but I am going to trust that there are a million other Pauls ready to come mm. alongside me and love me, even though there's a chance that I'm going to be betrayed or hurt. Wow. And that is the posture I have to take every time I walk into a church and choose to love people yeah. is that, yes, I could get hurt. I could be abused. I, I could hurt. I could abuse. But I'm going to choose that God is so good that He is going to make all things work out for wow. His glory and for my good. And I'm willing to take that chance. Wow. Wow. Um, Natalie, you're not gonna believe this. Actually, maybe you will because you're so you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm just, I'm actually, I'm in marvel of, of God right now because I was just preaching at a church this past weekend in Delaware and it's a good friend of mine. And afterwards we're sitting around and he's talking about some of this, just some of his angst around, you know, this conversation and how it's like causing some of his staff and parish to like, go wait, wait and feel disoriented around, okay, what is a church abuse? What is not? So he sends me, he goes, have you seen this? And I, you know, I literally, this is wild, Natalie. He sends me this, um, this carousel on Instagram that was posted. Um, and it says this, and, and maybe you'll recognize this. Accountability is not church hurt. Being held to a holy standard is not gaslighting. Being set down to grow to grow up isn't abuse. Be thankful people have loved you enough to not let you act like a fool. The enemy wants you offended by those God called to protect you. Don't run from covering. We all have a target on our back and it's open season on the family of God. Stay where you are protected. Offense is the pandemic 
of the church. Do you, do you recognize that, Natalie? Uh, yeah, it gets me in a lot of trouble, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So I literally pulled this up to go like, yeah, I just got sent this the other day about this. What do you think about this? And I realized if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, this was Natalie's organization <laughs> posting this. This is probably a post directly from you, right? And I'm like, you're kidding me. I see Ray's to stay right here. You're kidding yeah. me. But I think that's just such a, I mean, that is speaks to the providential nature of God, even in this conversation right now, that there yeah. is a very real delineation that we have to make. Being empathetic for people's hurt, real hurt and real pain and real trauma they're experiencing, and also understanding God's design and desire for the church. Yeah, there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. You know, empathy mm. says, I'm going to sit with you in your pain and I'm going to listen and I'm going to tell my stories too and I'm going to let you know you're not alone. Empathy sits with people in that darkness and says, we're going to get out of this together. But I will not sympathize with you that because one church hurt you, that the global church is all bad. Mm. I will not sympathize that because one leader abused us, that all leaders will abuse us. I will not sympathize with the lies of the enemy. I will not agree with the lies of an enemy whose entire tactic is to kill, steal, and destroy and divide the church from within. I will not sit in that space and allow the enemy to have a foothold any longer. So there is a empathy of we're going to love God and love people and we're going to go and make disciples and we're not going to just dismiss people's pain. We can't mm. do that. But I'm also not going to partner with the lie of the enemy. Wow. And the lie of the enemy is that we're going to forsake all institutions that require humility and accountability, which right now is marriage in the church. <sighs> we have a generation that doesn't want accountability or humility. And so they will reject any institution that demands that. And so we have an enemy who is a real enemy and we're acting as if each other are the enemy. And that's his whole plot. I mean, since Exodus 1, when the yeah. Pharaoh was trying to kill the, the, the Hebrew children to stop the multiplication of the church, that's what the enemy is doing now. He's trying to stop the multiplication of the church by killing the thing that is inside of us. Um, and that's unity. That's the very thing that is the heartbeat of our father. And that's what I won't sympathize with. Mm -hmm. So when people hear me come with these black boxes, it's not to diminish abuse and pain. It's to say, yes, it's there. We see it. We're going to walk in healing, but we're also going to go against an enemy who we know has already been defeated. He knows he's already been defeated and his tricks are old. Wow. And so there has to be an, wow. a righteous anger that stirs up in us that is not towards each other, but towards the real one who is out to destroy the church. Yeah. Wow. It, it, would you say, um, first of all, um, there, are, there are people who have experienced church hurt and there are people who have experienced spiritual abuse. I don't know if those two, they may, while they may be on the same spectrum, they're not, they're not necessarily the same thing. How would you delineate those two, both in a way to acknowledge like folks who are listening to this, hey, that what you experienced, that, that is absolute abuse, right? And in yeah. a way to, to help us understand, you know, the difference between just being hurt by a relationship that happens to ha work inside the church and, and actually the difference between that and being abused by structures or people of power. Well, and the truth is, is that depending on how you were raised, if you were raised in an abusive home, if you were raised in a abusive relationship, 
that is going to look different in your relationship with the church than someone like you and I who were raised in a pretty healthy environment where our parents loved us and we felt protected by the church. So I have to first preface by saying that a lot of our past and a lot of our history will narrate our future and our present even. And I'm not a, you know, psychological professional. I am not a clinical therapist. So I want to preface that right now. Um, But here's what I would say in my experience. Church hurt is at the hands of people who you have loved and it could be anything from a conversation that goes awry to um, not getting to sing the solo you were promised you were going to sing the week before, not being put on planning center, um, being disappointed, um, having leaders disappoint you. I mean, there are so many ways we could call hurt hurt. Um, I believe that the biblical coalition counseling um organization says that church hurt is when people uh, use like scriptures and they use the Bible to kind of push us down and to put us in place and to keep us from, you know, maybe even doing the thing God's called us to do. It's not necessarily causing a psychological damage, but it's using the word of God to make us question who we are, um, question our identity. Um, And that hurt can always be used for God's good. And we know that. And so hurt Um, is more easily rectified. It's something that can be a Matthew 18 conversation. It's something Mm. that can be maybe healed in a couple of sessions together, you know, that kind of thing. But I wanna be very clear about abuse. Abuse is anything that is physically, sexually, emotionally, spiritually causing us emotional and physical damage to the point where it's something that could be an inappropriate text message. Mm -hmm. It is something that could be actual rape or um, physical touching. It could be anything like that. It could be getting stuck in somebody's office who's a leader over you and they are just spewing just awful, awful things, twisting the word of God to make you submit to them because they are the leader. It's Mm -hmm. It's the Saul who will, who will break you down. And, and guys, and that's why it's such a weird fine line because hurt can look like that too when it hasn't been resolved, it can become abuse. And that's why church leaders hear me. When a congregant or a staff member comes to you and says that there is a leader who is hurting them, you have to listen. Mm. You have to take it seriously because that person who's unhealthy, who is the abuser in that moment, They will not stop with just one person. And before you know it, you're going to have a wake of people behind them. But because they're talented, you're keeping them on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of churches have abusers in place because they are choosing talent over anointing. Mm. And we cannot be so desperate that we will house abusers to keep our worship teams alive, to keep our preaching staff alive. We cannot compromise the safety of our sheep for talent. So you have to listen to people when they say that there's a a leader that is not healthy because they're probably just telling you a tiny bit because they're scared they're going to get fired. Mm. And this is why I've learned that staff will normally quit before they contend for healthy culture because most abusers are in high places. Hey friends, I don't know how long you've been a part of the Nothing Is Wasted community, but I know that you are someone who values seeing transformational changes that can come out of the deepest depths of sorrow and pain. I'm sure the stories you've listened to on the podcast have been an encouragement to you, perhaps in your own story, and a beacon of hope in the long journey of healing. Would you like to see that kind of transformation, that kind of hope arise in your own community? Well, 
We have just the way for you to be a part of what God is doing in not only your story, but also in the stories of those around you. Consider sharing with your local church pastor and leaders, or perhaps your small group leader about the Nothing Is Wasted Pain to Purpose course. This course is a proven pathway to lead people through grief, trauma, loss, tragedy, major life transition, and into hope, healing, and newfound purpose. And you could be the catalyst that starts that process in your very own church by simply starting the conversation with your church leaders and letting them know about the incredible impact this course has had on you and can have on your local church body. We have countless listeners who have approached us and asked us for resources to get the Pain to Purpose course launched in their church. I've had multiple personal conversations with people as we've been connecting with their church leaders. And you can do the same thing. You can learn more about this at nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash churches. And reach out if you have any questions on how to get the Pain to Purpose course started in your local church. With the right tools, real healing can happen in all of our stories and in the local church body that we attend and that we serve in. Don't wait. Learn more now about bringing the Pain to Purpose course to your church today. I think that's that what you're saying that's so very important because you know I sat as a senior pastor for a, a, a little while, right? Um, I've also been on staff at church at a church, a very large church where I was kind of an under shepherd, so to speak, right? So I experienced both seats and, and in places of leadership, you feel jeopardized if you feel like you've got some things. In, there's so much chaos in ministry. It's like, wow, I've got this kind of contained and in control over here, so to speak, that if someone comes to you expressing a concern or you know trying to vocalize something about this person that you have in place, you can easily write it off because, and, and you, you know, it's an easy thing. The pace of ministry, just be like, no, it's fine. Everything's okay, right? And so you look and go, well, maybe you're, Maybe it's just how you're experiencing it, or maybe there's some past trauma in your own life that's causing you to see it differently, or you're just, you know, you're easily triggered, so to speak, or whatever, right? But I think it's so very important for no matter what kind of accusation comes against someone in your leadership or someone against, you know, even against you, that you have to stop and get curious. You have to. Because there's been far too many stories that we've seen of some of people not taking that seriously and it continued to exacerbate. Yeah, and in my situation, I mean, I I will tell, I mean, I think I've already said it. I'm 43 and I'm a woman. So women get a bad rap in ministry because when we use our voices, we can sometimes be seen as being too powerful or being controlling or whiny or gossipy. So women already have a hesitation to report things Mm. because they don't want to feed into that stereotype. And so you end up with a lot of gossip on your church staff because people start talking to each other when they don't feel safe to go to the leadership. Mm. And in my situation, I had another woman leader who was over me who was was really threatened by what I brought to the table, even though I didn't want what she had. I didn't want her job, but there was this clear wanting to shepherd me and also wanting to control me. So I would be stuck in an office being told all the things I wasn't, all Mm. of the ways that I should be fired, all of the ways that I wasn't good enough or why I should be grateful for the opportunities that I've been given that spiritual abuse. Wow. Yet we sit in a room and think she's right. I should be grateful. I, huh. I'm not that great. Oh, 
yeah, maybe I am wanting more than what God has for me. We start to question the calling on our life and that is spiritual abuse. And yet we would say, they're my spiritual authority. I just have to do what they say. And you and I grew up in that environment where spiritual authority, we respect it and we honor it. But you guys, there is a difference between somebody having a bad day and somebody having the heart of a Saul. And we have to have discernment to know if we're dealing with somebody having a bad day or we're dealing with someone whose heart is not okay. And that's why pastors, we all need to be um, ready to, like you said, at least just lean in and get curious to find out, is this a bad leader or just somebody having a bad day? Yeah. Wow. This can be so murky too, because like you take it into the marketplace and there's a difference in the marketplace between an empowering leader, right? That provides space for you to flourish that um, expectations are clear, but man gives you enough runway and enough latitude to, to go and become everything that you were meant to become. Then you also have oppressive type leaders, very you know, uh, fear-mongering, fear-based type leaders. You have that in the marketplace, right? And so people can understand that even if you're not in a ministry setting. You bring that into a ministry setting and you then utilize or you know, weaponize scripture in that situation that becomes a whole nother level of oppressiveness. It's terrifying. It's it, it and it and that's what's so difficult to try to. Uh, you do you can begin to feel very gaslit. Where you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. Like I do need to. I mean, I need to become less, and he needs to become more. And so I, maybe I shouldn't raise my voice right now, or you know, maybe I shouldn't talk about this because uh, I'm feeling. Uh, like injustice against me in this particular situation. And then Jesus was like a lamb to the slaughter. And so I'm supposed to be the same, you know, like you can begin to easily use scripture to kind of justify it in your own heart and go, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. And I mean, I, I'll use my social media account, for example. You know, I started this Instagram page, this raised to stay, to convince myself not to quit. Because mm. at 40, I'm like, if this is ministry, no, thank you. Um, I have a degree. I can go make a lot of money doing something else. And the Lord, you know, gives me this phrase, raised to stay on a walk one day. Mm. And I go to my Instagram account and write my first black box, which is what you were talking yeah. about, <laughs> just to convince myself not to quit. And... And what was happening is people started following, right? It was like, oh my gosh, I feel this way too. Thank you for saying this. And then I'd be pulled into my boss's office and she would say things like, you're not a thought leader. Don't try to be a thought leader. Mm. Um, They're never going to let this thing, they're never going to let this thing grow. Um, If you're going to try to write anything, you need to get permission. I mean, it was so much like you were talking about that, like kind of that oppressive leadership that in the workforce, we would say, oh, well, they want me to be on the clock doing my job. Well, sure. I mean, they're not kingdom kids. They don't speak our language. But in the church, you would think it would be like, oh my goodness, thank you for helping people. Thank you for um, giving us language. And, And for me, it just was this, I knew what God was asking me to do. And yet somebody who was my oversight, somebody who should have been a mentor, was telling me not to. And so Mm. that's where you guys, we have to have so many mentors and counselors in our lives who can help us combat when it's the enemy speaking and when it's the Lord speaking. Mm. Oh, interesting. So what would have been a healthier way for them to approach that, right? Because I mean, you know, like practically speaking, truthfully, right? There are certain things within the parameters of your job description that says maybe this falls outside of the parameters of your job description. That's fine, right? But it's to uh, to to actually try to stifle it and say you can't do this at all. Like, what would be a healthier way for them to have approached that? I think it's 
just more communication. We're really bad at communication yeah. in the church. I, I think we assume things. I think we assign other people to go give the hard news versus having the hard conversations ourselves. And, mm. you know, had the entire, um, you know, leadership team sat me in a room and said, what's God saying to you? Mm. What What is your heart? Like we, we brought you in to be a worship leader, but now we're noticing that there's other gifts and talents that you have. And we want to champion those, but we also yeah. want to keep it within the confines of our organization. So how can we come alongside of you? How can we pray for you? Mm. Um, if you're feeling called out, how can we start to maybe uh, create a plan to raise up your um, successor and then also, you know, commission and pray you out? Like, I think there's a partnership oh, that we lack in the church because we're afraid of competition. Yeah, And we're not in competition. And that's what I would say to all of us in our 40s and 50s. I know a lot of us feel overlooked. We're the bridge generation. We're the yeah. ones who baby boomers and traditionalists didn't want to hand their churches over. And now they're skipping us and going to the, the Gen Xers. And I know that Gen X feels a little bit like we've been forgotten and we've been this bridge. And so we have an opportunity now to be to the next generation what we needed, mm. which were people who would champion us and hold us accountable in love and humility and truth, but not just leave us there, but walk beside us. And that's what my hope is, is that we'll be the Pauls, that even yeah. though we had our own share of Saul's, that we will be the Pauls um, for this next generation and, and speak of them as Paul speaks of Timothy. He's the best you'll ever have. You're going right. to love him, you know? <laughs> right. Wow. You spoke earlier about this idea that you had to come to a place where you go, you know what? There might be a Judas at this table. Like, and I have to, I can't guard myself uh, for fear that there's a Judas in my life. I almost need to expect that I'm going to love and that there is going to be this betrayal, yet I'm still going to love. And uh, part of your story is that you've been hurt in community. And yet also part of your story is that so much of community contributed to your healing as well, which would not have happened had you not, you know, opened your heart up in those spaces. Talk to me about that a little bit. How, how has God healed you in community? What did that require of you? Um, so that maybe we can overlay that into those of us who have experienced church hurt and we're feeling jaded right now. Well, you know, I mean, church hurts the worst hurt. Yeah. It's like somebody stabbing you in the back and they're looking you in the eye. Um, it's it's not blood family, but it might as well be. I yeah. mean, when when you invest so much time in holy, intimate spaces yes. and you think you're all on the same page and then somebody does something that breaks that trust, it's it's like a it's like a covenant. Like there's yeah. a there's a covenant being broken there and um the church that so desperately hurt my family when I was a senior in high school, I spent 25 years thinking those people hated us. Mm. And when I would see them places, I mean, enough to where I, I wouldn't go back. I, I didn't want to see anyone. And when I would see them out, I kind of hid, you know, I was ashamed. I'd, um, and I think a lot of people live in that space right now. Like, I don't know what I did wrong, but clearly I did something wrong. And so I'm just not going to go back. And two years ago, I get a phone call from the new pastors of that church. Hmm. And they were in my youth group at the time that we were let that we were let go. And they said, Natalie, we're having the church's 100 year anniversary and we want you to come lead worship. And I said, no, why would I do that? There's been therapy, there's been medication. Like I'm not going right. back into this. Right. And the Lord said, you know, you're writing a book about a reconciled church. You should go back. Wow. And I sat on it. I told her I'd call her back and 
that week I wrestled with it. Like, can I go back into that sanctuary? Can I go back to those people? And the Lord said, yeah, you should go back. And so I, I flew home, drove in. The parsonage that we had lived in had been torn down. The old blue church bus that we took on all of our events was sitting in the corner, kind of broken down. And the church looked exactly the same. Wow. And I could feel that stomach churning. Like if you've ever gone back into a church where you've been hurt, you feel like you're going to throw up. Like yeah. I could feel that. Mm. And I walk in, it smells the same. It looks the same. And I go into the sanctuary and there are people on that platform that I'm going to be leading worship with who were part, active parts of our oh, exit. Wow. Wow. And I said, Lord, how do I do this? And he said, yeah. just one step at a time, you know, and I get up there and we start practicing. And what's so crazy about the family of God is that when the Lord works in unity, beautiful things happen and we're singing in four part harmony and it's like no time has passed. And we get to the worship section of this whole event and the room is packed and I'm, I'm crying my whole way through this. And the pastor comes up to introduce all of us on the platform. And he gets to me and he says, this is Natalie. And he says my maiden name, Natalie Thomas. Her dad was one of our most favorite pastors to ever pastor this church. And mm. the whole room goes up into a applause. Wow. And I stood there looking at all of these people out there who had been so much part of my childhood. And the Lord said, they never hated you. The enemy wanted you to think they hated you. They had no clue. They were innocent bystanders of a few people's decisions. Yep. Yep. And if you would have quit, you would have never seen this moment where I'm gonna make all things new. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it all back around because he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the very end. Yeah. And it was 25 years later and I get off the platform and all of the old people, you know, I thought they were 80 when I was a kid. They are, they're still alive. So clearly they weren't 80 at the time, but you know, they've got, they're, they're hugging me and they're saying, your daddy was our favorite pastor. Tell him that we love him and tell your mom, we miss her singing oh, and wow. tell your daddy was my favorite hunting buddy. And I realized there that what I thought was an exile was actually an exodus, that God had been protecting our family from something. And that these people, they didn't hate us. They just were there on a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those yeah. people now, they're active in my life. They're a big part of Raise to Stay. They're in my book. They obviously know that. And I think a lot of us, we get through the hard and the hurt. We get through that and then we quit. Because mm. we think there's no hope or holy to my story. Mm. But God promises that He will finish the work. And a lot of us are quitting before the miracle. Sure. So in my life, I've learned you have to show up to let God prove Himself. And if that means sitting in the back of a sanctuary that makes you want to vomit, <laughs> maybe try it and see what God has. Wow. And maybe you will never step foot back in there again. Maybe wow. it'll be another church that you'll go to that will heal you. But the community of God has healed me through giving the community of God a second chance. Um, and I know they could hurt me again. I know that. Um, but man, I love being loved and I love loving. And so it's worth the risk. Hey friend, I wanted to let you know about a really special resource that we offer regularly at Nothing Is Wasted. It's our master classes. Each and every month on our community platform, we host a live master class where you can learn from trusted leaders and some of our certified coaches on specific topics to help you navigate your valley. This is an incredible resource because this is an opportunity for you to let their lessons through the pain of suicide, trauma, and other heartbreaking journeys guide you through yours. 
Now, these masterclasses are absolutely free to attend live, but Community Plus members only will get access to the on-demand replays of these special events. The topics we talk about are different each month and will help you no matter where you are in your pain-to-purpose journey, but some of these topics will speak to exactly what you're going through right now. So to find out what masterclass we have coming up next, go to nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. And right there, you can register for the next masterclass. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. We know what it's like to navigate life's valleys. Our masterclasses are just one of the many tools that we want to equip you with for the journey towards healing. Learn more and sign up today at nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass, or perhaps share this resource with a friend who's in need of some encouragement in their pain. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. I think what you're saying is so important because one of the things that we understand about trauma is that you have to have, you know, I think it's um, uh, Terry Strobe or Terry Wardle, who we've had on the podcast a few times here. He says that a, an emotionally laden experience has to have an emotionally laden experience to heal it, right? An emotionally laden trauma has to have an emotionally laden experience in order to heal it. Same thing would be true for relational because what begins to happen is you begin to have this skewed perspective of, who you are because of this emo- this relationally laden trauma and who God is, right? We begin to project that onto God and then what how other people are. And so it skews our perspective of those three things. So we begin to operate out of that. And God will more than like more than not, he's going to use other people to rewrite that inside of our brains. That's how he interacts with us. He's not just going to bring out some kind of scripture that's going to like rewrite that experience. We might it might rewrite the truth that we know now, but it doesn't rewrite that whole experience, that trauma experience. And so the only way for us to put ourselves in a situation where God can do that, just like what you said a second ago, in order for God to prove himself, give him a chance to prove himself and go back into that as difficult as that may be as much as it may hurt. It's so true and I I'm, I'm telling you like I even in raised this day like when people write hard things in the comments to me, like, cause I can just hear the hurt in their voice. I can hear what they're walking through. I have to remember that even running an, uh, an organization with a hundred thousand stayers, as I call them, that I'm putting myself on the line. I'm not even on a church staff anymore, but I love those people so much that even when they write to me hard things that I mm. I want so badly, just to, I go back and I message everybody. I'm like, I want you to know that I am for you and that I love you because I want to be part of rewriting that story. Mm. I want to be part of them. I want to prove them wrong that not all Christians are going to hurt them. And so somebody on a podcast a year ago, a year ago, I had 4,000 followers and raised to stay. And a podcast guy said, I'm just surprised you don't have more followers. And I said, I'm not because I asked the Lord to only give me what I can steward. Mm. And I don't want to reemphasize or um, show them that they're right about the church. If I have 4,000 people I can comment back to, that's what I have. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to maintain in the raised to stay community is God, let me be a voice that shows them that we're not all like that, mm. that we can be part of rewriting their story. Wow. Wow. This comes at such a critical time, I think, in in history right now, because there is so much, I mean, we we use the term deconstructionism, uh, 
that's taken place. I'm really curious as to your perspective on all of that. I know you're having conversations, you know, a, a, about that. It seems like God has brought you into the intersection of that so uh, appropriately. And so, what what would you say to someone who would who would say, you know, what I'm I'm kind of deconstructing my faith, or I'm what's what's your perspective on that? I say, listen, deconstruct it as long as you have the framework to rebuild it. And here's what you and I know this, like I grew up in purity culture. I grew up in a lot of shame-based religion where it was, you need to ask God to come into your heart every day or you're not going to get to heaven. Or (laughs) um, I wasn't watching radar movies. I was wearing one piece bathing suits. Everything (laughs) was attached to my behavior. Right. And I think that when I went to the secular college, went to Miami of Ohio, um, when I started getting confronted by atheist professors and the LGBT community and Mormon friends, and I sat in the tension of these hard conversations, I did deconstruct my faith Mm. and say, what were parts of my faith that were not actually even biblical? Mm. What shame did people put on me? What expectations were put on me that God would never have placed on me? And I began to detangle and and detach from some of the harmful narratives that had made God not good and not gracious. And so I think if we need to deconstruct harmful theology, deconstruct it. And even in Jeremiah 1, when God is speaking to Jeremiah, he says that there will be a season for building and a season for tearing down. Mm -hmm. And I think that as long as we have mentors and disciplers and we have a heart for Jesus, that we can deconstruct in a way that helps us build a church that Jesus would actually come to, that he would be proud of, and that we can build a faith that is actually biblical faith and not some man's interpretation of what Jesus is and what the church is. Wow, that's so great. That's so great. You know, I just keep going back to the fact that the um, kind of critical juncture of God's people, the Israelites, their moniker, their namesake was built on this moment where Jacob wrestled with God. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, how are we not fostering environments where it's okay to wrestle with God, to wrestle with the tough things? because we don't know how to wrestle. I'm telling you, Christians are the worst at wrestling. Mm -hmm. I say this all the time. We don't know how to bear one another's burdens, but we sure know how to pick up an offense. Mm. And you know, when somebody's sitting in my office and they are telling me the heavy things of life, I should be weeping with them. I should be mourning with them. I should be sitting at hospital beds and wrestling with people in their marriages and wrestling with people in their faith. Like that's the joy and the honor of ministry is wrestling with people who are wrestling with God because it teaches us how to wrestle. But good grief, we are the worst at gaslighting ourselves and to not wanting to feel pain and not wanting to sit in sorrow when God says over and over again what that there is beauty in the pain, that there is beauty in that sorrow, that joy is gonna come in the morning. But nobody wants to go to the funerals. Nobody wants to do the hard work of ministry. We want the lights and the, the, the success. And that's where we're missing it. Yeah. That when people are wrestling, we don't want to acknowledge that we could be part of the problem. And so we'll pick up that offense because man, it's fun to gossip and it's fun to see leaders fall and it's fun to watch things fall apart. But that wrestling is holy. That wrestling means I have to know the voice of God. That wrestling means I have to love people as God loves people. And that's how we're gonna change the church is choosing to be the wrestling church and not the one that's just gonna be offended all the time. That's so good, man, that's so good. I think it's like, for whatever reason, we wanna close loops for people. It's like, we do not 
feel comfortable with sitting in the mystery of who God is in the middle of really difficult things. It's like, we've got to somehow in our minds, we've got to resolve this or we've got to explain to people like, almost like we're trying to defend God, you know, and like, well, this is why this happened. You know, this is why you had this really painful experience or this loss or this grief or this, you know, and, and, and I just, I'm like, man, what, like, real true healing is only going to come when we hold space for the mystery of God and go, I really don't know, but I'm here with you. Yeah. I'm here with you. That ministry of presence where we can just invite the Holy Spirit to do the resolve and the repair that he wants to do in people's lives. And he's not in a hurry. (laughs) That's right. We're the ones who are like, if you could just go ahead and heal, that'd be great. So I could put this on Instagram and say, hashtag healed. Yes. Get a little real, right? God doesn't work in reels. (laughs) He doesn't. And and honestly, I just, I think we just need to be grateful people are on the journey to begin with. I think we need to be grateful we're on the journey to begin with because that means at least we're walking towards Jesus. We're, yeah. we're at least walking towards something and, and not just completely giving up. And so when people give me a glimmer of hope that they're wrestling, I'm like, good, yes. keep wrestling. And I will take you to coffee a bajillion times until yeah. we get to a point where you are exhausted and red-faced and laying on the floor and giving God glory for it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I mean, we'll look at Jacob, right? God broke yeah. his hip and then healed him all in that moment, right? It's like, there has to be a, for all of us, there has to be this wrestling, especially when we go through really difficult things, right? We have to take those raw, real questions to God, wrestle with him. There's going to be some breaking. Like he's yeah. going to confront us with some things like he did Job, you know, where he's like, hey, go ahead, suit up. Are you ready for this? After... 40 chapters of Job questioning. God's like, all right, well, I'm going to bring you some perspective shift here. He breaks us, but then he heals us. And the only way that we can experience that kind of true healing is if we are putting ourselves in spaces where we're asking the difficult questions. And I wish every pastor who's listening to this, ministry leaders listening to this would would allow space for that to say, hey, listen, we're going to ask the tough questions. I'm going to preach on the tough things. I'm not going to necessarily resolve it for you. I'm going to invite you to talk with the Lord yourself about some of these things. Is that straying away from quote unquote, you know, the truth of God's word? No, it's like, let's create space where we can wrestle with the text, with scripture, with each other, and with most, most importantly with God. And we can come to the place where we trust God completely. It's so true. And I think too, the lie is that we have to be fully put back together before we can be used by the Lord. And that's such a lie of the enemy as well. When I go back to Exodus 1 and I see how the midwives were sitting on those birthing stools, that uh, word for birthing stool is the same word in the Greek as uh, potter's wheel. Mm. That these women were helping other women deliver the thing God had put inside of them while simultaneously being human and being worked on by the Father. And and we wow. have to give ourselves that grace that even as we're healing, even as we're running, even as we're, we're working through our own junk, that God is perfectly capable of working on us and giving us purpose at the same time. Yeah. And so there is, even in our pain, there's this purpose to it that I'm gonna tell my story and I'm gonna share what God is doing actively in my life while right. also telling you to push out the thing God has put inside of you, mm. um, that none of us need to have arrived before we can be given a ministry or a responsibility or just a human to love, you know? Wow, that's so good, so good. So so many people needed to hear that right there, Natalie, because they're in their healing journey right now and they're holding off being a conduit of God's healing into other people's life because they're going, well, I don't feel qualified or I don't feel, you know, there's there's been a shame-based culture that has 
oppressed them to say, I got to arrive at a certain point before I can actually begin to partner with God in doing ministry. And so that is so freeing to know that we don't have to, we don't have to, we, we can walk in, in healing as we're helping other people work out their own healing as well. And we become wounded healers. Yeah, I mean, this whole ministry happened because I was at the pit. And, you know, the Beatitudes in the message version, the one part of the Beatitude that says, blessed are those at the end of your rope for when you come to the end of yourself, that's when God can truly begin. Mm. And I find myself at the end of myself so much these days. And I realize, oh my goodness, that's a really great place to be because that means that God can do the work He actually created me to do. And it's not in my own power, but only by His strength Mm. that I'm able to even write the things that I'm writing because I wanna quit right now. And yet I'm trying to convince a whole world to stay. You know, that's that's crazy talk, but yet, I'm at the most broken part of my life and God is using that, you know? So um, I just say, keep running. That's great. (laughs) That's great. All right. I have one more question. I wonder if we can give folks some practical handholds on, let's say they've experienced some hurt from either a fellow member of the congregation or some leadership in the congregation that they're a part of. Um, How do they raise their hand? How should they approach this this conversation to be able to say, "Hey, I've been I've been hurt." Uh, what's the proper way to do that? What's the right way? What's the you know the way that's going to foster the best environment for healing? Yeah, so I would say there's two categories to this. If if there's abuse happening, there is a different reporting structure than if it's simply the hurt that we face as humans, right? So if there's abuse happening, you have to report abuse. It's like at the mm-hmm. airport. If you see something, you say something. And mm-hmm. you, if you don't feel safe to say something and your paycheck and your family's livelihood is dependent upon your job, that puts a totally different caveat to the conversation. And so I would say if your church has an HR department, you need to use that HR department now. Mm. If it's if it's sexual, physical, if it's something that's happening to your physical body, you need to call the police or ask someone on your behalf, especially if you are a young person. If you're in your 20s as a youth pastor, as a young adult pastor, we need to utilize the authorities and just mm. know you're helping somebody else. By you reporting, you're going to prevent this from happening to someone else. So I want to put abuse in its own ca- in its own ca- category. And if you are a church leader and you have people being reported as abusers on your staff, you need to explore that immediately. Mm-hmm. For those of us who have been hurt by the church and it's a relationship or it's a tender situation, whether you're on a staff or you're a congregant, we know we have Matthew 18 to fall back to as kind of like a blueprint of mm-hmm. you go to the person, if it can't be resolved, then you go and you bring in other than another party. There, There is a way to do that. And I think that you have to be at a place where you're not looking necessarily for that relationship to be 100% preserved, but you're looking for there to be just some um, reconciliation or a resolve to the pain. Yeah, right. So we we know we have that blueprint, but it's not always so textbook. And I would say, do your very best if you feel called to that church to stay in that church, to come to a place with that person where when you see them walking down the hall, you don't feel anger, bitterness, mm-hmm. resentment, and unforgiveness. Because we know that offense is sin. So we don't wanna be carrying around a bunch of offense. So whatever we need to do mm-hmm. to set them free from our hearts, is it mm-hmm. unfollow them on social media? Is it um, go to counseling? Is it oh, good, yeah. sitting with them in a room with a pastor and hashing it out? But I say explore 
all of the options that you're comfortable with, but don't do it alone. Get counseling, mm. get a spiritual director, right. get a mentor or a discipler and talk through them the situation. Right. So that they can give you some valuable feedback. Maybe it is something silly, like you didn't get the song you wanted to sing the week before and you've been harboring this offense and now you hate everybody on the worship team, right? Mm. Maybe there is some corrective behavior that needs to happen and we can own that. Yeah. So own our own row and then pursue that healing as you feel comfortable. But there is, there is no textbook way to do it. And you have to feel comfortable with those people and with leadership. And so give yourself time. There is yeah. no rush on that. Um, but if you feel called to the church, God will help you contend for that healing. Mm. And sometimes it's an invitation to go. And remember that leaving and going are not the same things. Yeah. Sometimes God will ask us to go into a new season and we can't take all those people with us. That's so true. I love what you said earlier about it. You misinterpreted what, what God was in, saying was an exodus and, and it was you thought it was an exile. <laughs> and, you know, I found that so many times to be true in, in my own life when it comes to transitions and to re recognize like, no, God's actually protecting me from something by moving yes. me out. If, as uncomfortable as this was, as painful as this was, I don't think I would have left if it had not been for this kind of wounding. And God's going, right. listen, I promise in this pain, I'm like, there's wounding, but it, it's to protect you from an even deeper, greater destruction that's coming your way. Totally. And we're not going to get longevity trophies in heaven for being yeah. somewhere 25 years. Like, you know, I think we think, well, I just got to stick it out and I've just got to buck up and be the good soldier. And it's like, no, actually you don't. Like, mm -hmm. It's not a sin to leave a church and go find another church. Yeah. And I think we feel this loyalty to people when really our loyalty is to God. So if he's saying go, you probably have this small window of time right. to get out before it burns. And right. unfortunately, sometimes you got to let it burn. Yeah, and, and following calling, following assignment and following loyalty are all three different things. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself like, okay, what's my calling, right? That's kind of like a pervasive life call, like something that God has, you know, I, I know God's called me to ministry. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to be ministering to people because that's like exactly how God wired me and I'm going to be the, the most fulfilled. But my assignment in that looks different. Mm -hmm. And God's going to give me my assignment, my marching orders in that. So I have to follow that. And loyalty is not something that can, just a sense of loyalty can't keep me somewhere if it's overriding. It can't override my assignment, mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's really important for us to begin to delineate those things. Can I ask you one more question, Natalie? I, just for the sake of my friends who are pastoring, they've got young staff members. These staff members are wrestling, um, you know, and there's only a small constituent of our listenership that's even pastors and stuff, but I just, I can't, I've got to, there's, there's folks who are young in ministry and alluding to what we talked about earlier, they're, they're kind of like shell shocked a little bit by how difficult ministry is. And, and they're beginning to wrestle with this idea of either leaving ministry or leaving the church that they're in. And if you and I were to look at the, a church and we go, yeah, that's a, that's a very healthy environment, healthy, you know, but they're, they're having trouble delineating oh, this feels like a really heavy environment. Maybe this is like a, abusive or oppressive um, when in fact, it's just a spiritual attack that they're feeling by being in ministry, right? How do we delineate those two? I mean, especially speak to the young people who had this grandeur idea of like, this is, this is how ministry is gonna be. Oh, this feels heavy. But I'm so, you know, how do we stay in that? You know, first of all, and I know pastors don't like when I say this, I go in and I do consulting and I, and I know it's hard because pastors are one person, right? Right. 
if you hire them, you have to shepherd them. It's mm, great. Don't ask somebody to move their family 1200 miles away from everything they know to be a talent on your team and not and then not shepherd them once you've removed them from everything they know, everything that has been comfortable to them. Wow. And then you put them in an office and you say, dance, monkey dance. Wow. <laughs> if you hire them, you have to shepherd them. Mm. And I don't mean you personally. I think in the beginning, you should be an active part of their, of their role. I think you should help them get settled. But then you need to assign them someone of the same sex who can walk with them in this new thing called ministry. They need a yeah. Paul. They, they need an Anna. They, they need a Deborah. They need someone who's going to sit in their office and when they're at their end because they've had a hard day, they have somebody to call to say, I need just prayer. Can you just pray for me? We can't abandon them because they seem to have it all together. They have all the technology. They have all of the confidence. Mm. Um, we have 20 year olds writing books right now that they have no business writing, talking about things they haven't even lived out. Wow. Wow. And it's because they have a false sense of security because they've been given a platform before it's earned. Mm. Do not put them in a visit place of visibility until they have been tested in the secret place. And the only way you know they've been tested in the secret place is because you have somebody mentoring them and shepherding them. Yeah. So if you're gonna hire the 20 something to do a job that is probably for a 40 year old, you cannot abandon them. Mm. And that is going to mean being accessible when you don't want to be accessible. And that's going to mean disciplining them when you know they're probably going to quit. <laughs> um, yeah. We can't shy away from being the spiritual parents mm. in the church. Um, there is a false sense of security that they carry, yet they need you. They, they need their shepherds. And yeah. so don't abdicate authority and don't delegate authority to the ones that you've brought in because a lot of times they're coming because they trust you. Wow. So just, just know that there is a, a facade. There is a, I've got it all together. Uh, wow. They're really falling apart. And we can't, we can't give them all these responsibilities without uh, stewarding what we've hired. Wow, that is so, so good. Uh, I mean, very convicting even. You know, I can I recognize that in my own life, in my own leadership, the tendency there is to go to sure something up over here. I'm going to bring somebody onto the team, and then like, but then just not even develop them, not even attend to their heart and their spiritual walk as you're, you know, and and that is such a challenging word right there, Natalie, for all of us to if God's placed someone in underneath our leadership, our influence, our our stewardship, we need to steward that. Mm-hmm. God's trusting us with that. That doesn't mean we control them. That doesn't mean we micromanage. That means we foster everything that God intended for that person to be in their life and yeah. we let them flourish. Wow. Mm-hmm. Man, this is incredible. What a great God. Natalie, thank you so much for spending time. I want to make sure everybody gets a hold of this book. Uh, it's it's Raised to Stay. And then that's the same thing as the Instagram account that you have as well, an entire ministry that you are um, now stewarding to help people in this space. Persevering in ministry when you have a million reasons to walk away. I wouldn't say this is just isolated to people who are in ministry. I think this is for all of us, all of us in the church. This is going to be such a helpful resource as you're beginning to figure out what does it look like for me to uh, stay even when I've experienced hurt, right? Mm -hmm. There are times to walk away and there are times to stay. And Natalie's going to really help you with that in this book. It's going to be a, a fantastic resource for so many people. Natalie, thank you so much. This has been unbelievable. 
Oh gosh, thanks for having me. Well, that was Natalie Runyon. Man, incredible, incredible conversation, huh? Yeah, I mean, such a timely word for for what's happening right now in our culture. I think this is a really important thing to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, I know I spend a lot of time with pastors who they're, in a lot of ways, they're, uh, maybe reeling is a is an intense word for it, but they're confused. They're going, okay, how do we, how do we help with this? You know, there's been a lot of attention around uh, um, spiritual abuse. You know, and there is, uh, I don't want to say a fine line, but inter- from an interpretation standpoint, there can be a fine line between good leadership and spiritual abuse. Yeah, you know decisive leadership and spiritual abuse. And it, that line can get blurred, I think, from the people from people who are following the leader and from the leader's standpoint. I think very easily you can you can tiptoe into that other side without knowing it, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's actually, I was having a conversation with some pastors that, you know, pastor's wife came and stayed with us a few weeks ago and they were talking about like how to lead their church, but they feel a little bit paralyzed right now because of all of the, it's, it was almost kind of like the cancel culture thing. Like in that, when everybody like comedians and everybody felt like I can't, I can't do anything. Like my hands are tied because everybody's going to cancel me. And, and pastors on some level are feeling the same way of going, how do we lead God's church and steward it in the way that he has mandated us to lead his church from, de, you know, being decisive, being discerning, having a group of people around that were and not slip into something that would be interpreted as spiritual abuse because there are very wounded people who are throwing up the flag going, that's spiritual abuse, simply because someone makes a decision that they didn't like. And that's where it can get all, you know, so there's a, you have to really peer into this stuff, Anita, and figure out what's the difference between spiritual abuse and church hurt or, and, and where in that is just, decisive leadership. Yeah, I totally agree. We have, um, I'm friends with a lot of pastors and I think they really are wondering like, can I, can I take a stand on this? Or if I offend people, even in a biblical, on a biblical issue, are they going to say, wow, you're not hearing me. And so that's a really hard thing for pastors. Yet at the same time, they're people. And I have friends who have left churches over just feeling like we're not being heard. We're being steamrolled. And we are really struggling with, is this an abuse of power? And I do think there's a really fine line. I mean, I don't think there's certain things that are absolutely abuse, but I think there's a line that sometimes is pretty fuzzy on, you know, if somebody yells at you, is that abuse? Certain times it is, and sometimes it's not because we're humans and we're sinful. And I mean, certainly there's a lot of sin involved in people who have been hurt by the church, but we're all sinners. Like I think about my kids and how much I have hurt them. And yet I would hope they wouldn't say I've abused them, but I've yelled at them. And so, you know, there's a line that the Lord really has to discern um, for us as, as you know, leaders in different contexts. Like when are we yeah. um, crossing the line? So Yeah. And such a good point because, you know, there are times I will um, elevate my voice, my tone with my kids and be very direct with them, you know, because they're not listening or they're not, you know, and sometimes it's a matter of their safety. Sometimes it's a matter of like me and my, and foresight, you know, knowing things that they don't know, 
I'm like, I can't let you get away with this because this could lead to destructive behavior in the future. And some might call that or think, you know, receive that as abuse. And I'm like, ah, that's not abuse. You know, that's direct. It's very frank. And it and it, the tone is elevated. And there are times where I've done that where I've had to go back and go, hey guys, I'm sorry I raised my voice at you. And I'm, I'm really sorry. That was uncalled for. I got, I got a little bit frustrated with you right there. But, and so, you know, when I think about this, I think about, um, first of all, both sides of the equation, having to think, okay, how do I approach this in humility? How do I admit where I am wrong and admit where maybe I am being um, easily offendable? You know, I think there's a, this isn't a Christian book, but I read The Coddling of the American Mind Mm -hmm. that talks about a whole generation that is just so easily offendable where it equates, if you disagree with me, that is offensive to me. Mm. And those two, those two just are not the same. And, and unfortunately, we have an entire generation that is equating those two things. Well, if, I, if you disagree with me, then you've now offended me. And it doesn't leave room for a healthy discourse. And the reality is, is any, any organization, especially the church, has to leave room for healthy discourse, yeah. for repentant hearts, for humility, and be able to, and, and have places where we take stands on certain convictions and the truth of God's word to say, okay, this is how we are aligning ourselves with the mandate of what God, what the church is supposed to be about, yes. you know? Yeah. And uh, that can get really tricky. Yeah, I feel like other things that have to do with abuse is there's often secrecy, like don't tell anybody. Mm. And then there's sort of a manipulation of oh. that power, which yeah. I don't see in church, like normal church hurt is, right. hey, it doesn't involve that. If it involves don't tell anybody this is secret, then then we're right. already crossing the line. Um, That's true. That's and, really good. And and really manipulation, like intent in uh, intentional manipulation is definitely yeah. abuse. And yeah. I think those Absolutely. are things that are huge red flags for us. But some Absolutely. a lot of the other things, as you said, are are really um individual how the individual receives them as well as mm. context. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. I think if you follow Matthew 28, I think that that can give us good um, guidelines for how do we step into these things, right? Most people who are experiencing church hurt in this day and age and then are going and deconstructing their faith and then they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and so they're walking away from Jesus and the church. They haven't gone through Matthew 28. So I would encourage everybody, like if you feel a hurt, do you want to say and that it, one more time? It's Matthew 18, not that it- I'm sorry, you're right. You're right, <laughs> Benita. Do you want to leave it that Matthew way. 28, we get into the Great Commission. Here we go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm okay. We don't have to edit that. Benita, thank you. Yes, Matthew 18. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> Pastor getting the reference wrong. Yes, Matthew 18. Um, we, need, we need to follow through. We need to follow that. So first we go and we talk to somebody, right? That we say, okay, you, I've, I've experienced this offense from you. This has hurt me. And there's a really good way to do that right? It's not accusatory. It's not, okay, hey, here's the specific example. Here's here's what happened. This is the specific thing. Not just like a general, like overarching, I feel like you're mean kind of thing. Not like that, but like, hey, there was this moment we were walking past each other in the hallway and I said, hey to you, and you said this. Mm-hmm. And it, and this is the way it made me feel. This is how I experienced that. And this is the story that I've made up in my head. And I just want to ask for clarification. I just want to ask what what was behind that? Was there anything? And I think it, 
you know, then if that person's just being very defensive or they don't, you know, then you can go, okay, they're not listening. I I'm, I'm struggling right now. I go and bring a couple other people to go and confront that person too and go, Hey, listen, I, this really has created damage right now. And I, I'm want, I want to, I want to repair this. Um, can, can you help me understand what was going on right there? As you walk through that, as Matthew 18, thank you, Benita, <laughs> highlights for us, it gives us a good gauge to know, is this church hurt or is this spiritual abuse? Yes. And with church hurt, reconciliation is possible. And if you can approach it through the lens of reconciliation and do these things in a way that creates an environment where you're not keeping more and more... Um, uh, you're not elevating the conversation yourself by being accusatory or, you know, um, resorting to the lowest common denominator with, with, with argumentation and stuff, then you can find reconciliation. But if not, if there is like what Vanitha, you pointed out, secrecy or lack of humility or just this um, a, a kind of an abuse of power then that says, well, you know, I, I'm going to now lord this power over you. Then I think I, I think that's when you can begin to go. Okay, we need. I, I feel like either I need to leave this church and find another place that's healthy, or to help protect this church, I need to go to some leadership and see if there's another route that we can take here. And then there is a there is great safety in the counsel of many, is what Proverbs tells us. And yeah. so for you to be able to go and express that to other leaders and go, hey, I'm struggling with this, um, you may be able to find some kind of uh, some kind of resolve there and reconciliation. Yeah. Well, I had recently um, an example in my own life. I was really upset with one of our elders about something that had happened and I had convinced myself that they were like not a good elder and didn't care about me and, and didn't care about anybody. And I'd heard other people say, well, you know, they kind of dismissed them. Um, so I felt like this person should almost be removed from being an elder. Mm. And yet I wrote a letter and I just said, this is what happened. I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it was years ago, but I never went to the person. And so wow. I just outlined how I'd been hurt, what they had done. And I wasn't sure. I thought they would dismiss me, honestly. And um, this person emailed me back. I emailed it because I was too afraid to actually just go walk in. I just wasn't sure what that was going to feel like. Right. And um, he said, is it okay if you, you and your husband are home, can I stop by? And he actually was crying at my door. He, mm. he was actual tears. He's like, mm. I had no idea. Like, I wish you had told me. Wow. And wow. it made me think so often we assume somebody doesn't want to hear because he had dismissed yeah. me years ago over a concern. And so I assumed he's going to dismiss me again. But mm. he, when he read it, he said, I, I believe that I did that, but I am so sorry. Mm. Like sometimes I don't pick up cues. And sometimes people wow. who are very emotionally intelligent, like they get emotional cues, but there's sometimes people that don't know that. And yep. we need to spell it out for them and understanding sometimes they didn't know. And yeah. that was a huge thing for me. Like, wow, I had yeah. misunderstood this person. And I think in Raised to Stay, we can probably see that some of these things are misunderstandings. They're hurt right. because we are sinners and we're not all super empathetic and don't pick right. up nonverbals. Right. And yet, if we are willing to go and, and mm. express our hurt, um, 
which Natalie really talks about is just naming your hurt. That's the first step to one reconciliation, as well as healing for people yeah. who maybe can't do the reconciliation because it is an abusive situation. That's right. But naming their own hurt to actually get healing in their own heart and reconciliation yeah. with the church at large, maybe not yeah. that church. Yeah, that's good. And that's a great distinction too, that you can get healing in your own heart without reconciliation. Yes. And you also you also don't have to throw out the church as a whole because of your experience with one church. And that does require a level of emotional maturity and a level of spiritual maturity to say, okay, you know what? I recognize that that's not God's intention for the church, but that church is, they're missing the mark on that. And I can pray for them, but, and I can exit quietly. I can, you know, I can, and that's the other thing, you know, exit quietly on that. You don't need to exit with this big, um, and make this huge ordeal about it. A lot of times when people leave a church, they will feel relationally um, awkward or, or in, a, in a place of like, they're not sure what to do about it because people are asking questions. And so they have to feel justified themselves and justify it to other people. And it ends up leading to a lot of toxicity, truthfully, yeah. other than just going, hey, listen, we just feel like, you know, this is a, this is a new season for us and a family. This isn't the right fit for us. We want to go and find you know another place. That's okay. You know that's okay to do that. You don't have to share all the gory details with everybody. Um, in fact, it's not biblical to share all the gory details with everybody, unless there is a level of spiritual abuse where there does need to be a okay. We need to uh, go to other leadership or other you know going going to somebody who could actually do something about the problem. And that's how you determine whether or not this is going to be gossip or this is going to be productive is, okay, who can I go to about this that's, that could do something about the problem? And, um, you know, other than, uh, otherwise, you're, you're just kind of spreading toxicity throughout the whole thing. So, and, 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 you know, in that level, it's like, okay, let's say nobody wants to do anything about the problem. I think it's important for you and your family to exit not the church as a whole, but that particular church. Don't abandon Jesus as a whole, but that particular church. And then pray that the Lord would intervene in that church and in that pastor, that leader's life. Um, prayer is powerful. God, God makes sure that what is in the darkness comes to light. Yes. Make sure of that. Yeah. And I mean, that's just such a great point, Davey, that, you know, we can leave that church. We can do it kind of respectfully, but we don't yeah. need to stay in an environment that we feel we're being damaged, whether right. other people are or not. I mean, if you can't really respect the leadership and feel like I can't hear and grow, then God may be calling you somewhere else, but God is not calling you out of the church fully, right. you know, because God really works through his body in the church. Yeah. And, and I think that's what breaks my heart is a lot of people have been hurt in one church. And so they they leave all churches and they say, yeah. you know, they're full of hypocrites. We can't do this. And yet God works through his body so powerfully. So, yeah. and, and just through his word. And so, you know, just for people listening, if you've experienced church hurt, like we mm. get it. Like you may yeah. not be called to stay in that church after you've gone to leadership, but- there will be a church that that God is calling you to. So to look for yeah. that and to not abandon your faith or reading the word um, right. because of that. And, and it's a hard thing though, because if you've really been hurt, it's hard to disentangle being hurt by the Lord from being yeah. hurt by people. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. 
Well, we'd love to help in any way that we possibly can. You know, um, we do have some other resources on Church Hurt. Uh, in fact, our curated pathways are a great place for you to start. If you're trying to find resources that we have on any particular topic, whether it's widowhood or childhood trauma or sexual betrayal. And so we've got great resources there at Curated Pathways. Those are nothingaswaste.com slash pathways. But if you're just looking to get started, you're trying to figure out where's what's my next step, um, whether you've been listening to the podcast for a long time or whether this is kind of your first time to listen to the podcast, it's fine. Uh, I would love to invite you to Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story. It's a free Zoom call that I do um, at least once a month. We usually do it every other week, twice a month. It's, but you can find the, the schedule at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And you can register for the next one that's coming up. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Download and stream his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. You can follow us uh, on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Vanitha at Vanitha Reisner. And we would love to invite you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps to put this uh, podcast into uh, streams of other people, the suggestions for other people who are listening to like podcasts. We love to hear your stories when you write a review. We love to hear how this is impacting you. And um, we would love to also invite you to like, subscribe the podcast on YouTube. Next week, Vanitha, you are interviewing Inez... Franklin. Yes. And this is fun that you are taking an interview and you guys have an incredible conversation. So I'm excited for our Nothing is Wasted community to lean into that conversation with you. Um, so why don't we listen to a little clip from Vanitha's conversation with Inez Franklin and you guys make sure you join us next week. Vanitha will be back with us. In uh, Africa, or pretty much in Puerto Rico and China and Asia, you know those countries are are shame based, and so they don't tell stories like we tend to tell stories here. Not that vulnerable, so it's shocking when they hear me talk about being divorced twice and having two abortions, and you know, and they were just like, "Whoa, what are you doing here? Why? How can you possibly be standing here talking to us?" and I, one gentleman stood up and he said, you really are challenging me. A woman like you in my church, we would be thrilled that the Lord has saved you and we would rejoice in God for that. But we would ask you to sit at the back of the church and be quiet. And I, I mean, of course, I was pretty shocked by his words, but by then I had already experienced a lot of the, sometimes these few people that would feel like they just could not and I get it. I was in that place for a long time myself, about myself. So I understand the objection 100%. But when he said it, I thank God, God gave me the words. I, in front of all these people, I said, your challenge is really not with me. Your challenge is with Jesus. Because he did that with this woman at the well. And you need to ask him some questions, you know? So I've learned that, that this is not, when I experience that with others, it's coming out of two places. One of them is perhaps they too have shame or fear of being in a position of shame, or they've been hurt by someone deeply, maybe someone like me, someone who's done the very things I've done, and they struggle with that pain and they haven't healed. And so they, they look at me and I represent that source and so I, I have a lot of grace and patience and 
love for people who get stuck and look at me with judgment. It hurts. Of course it hurts. And I understand that God is all forgiving, um, but sometimes we're not. And we've got a ways to go.